Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Turia Pitt is an author, motivational speaker and businesswoman who really knows the meaning of overcoming the odds. Eight years ago, she suffered horrific burns when she was caught in a grass fire while competing in a 100-kilometre ultramarathon. With burns to 65% of her body, she lost seven fingers and had over 200 medical procedures in two years of recovery. Against these odds... Turia Pitt has rebuilt her life. She's raised over a million dollars for the charity Interplast, has competed two Ironman competitions, has written two best-selling books, and has had a son with her longtime partner, Michael Hoskin. She's just released a third book, this time aimed at teens, all about building self-confidence, getting through hard times, and going after big goals. It's called Good Selfie, and Turia's with us in Sydney. Hi, Turia. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's an honour to be here. Uh, lovely to talk again. We first spoke late 2013 when you'd published your first book, Everything to Live For, uh, about what you had been through. And so much mm. has happened since then. You've, you've had the baby, uh, full on back into the exercise, founded the, the charity. Um, how do you describe the, the, the journey since publishing that book and, and talking so intimately about what you'd been through? Um, I, you know, I, I, I guess it's hard for me to describe because while I was very public about what I was going through, of course, it was a really emotional time for me personally. But I really love sharing my story with people all over the world. And when I get emails and, and comments and letters from them and they say things, you know, because I heard your story, Taria, that inspired me to run a half marathon or because, I, because of your story, Taria, that gave me the strength to leave my, my partner or because of your story, you know, I, I quit smoking. When I get all of those messages, that, that, that makes me feel really good. So if I look back in the past, you know, eight years, I, uh, I can say honestly that I'm, I'm actually really proud of myself. Why the teens now? How did this book begin? And was it worth yeah. hearing from them and thinking, hang on a minute, there's something I can do here? Yeah, I guess, you know, teens, they're the same species as adults. And I guess the stuff that they're going through is, is really similar to what, you know, adults go through too. It's all things about how to get more confidence and how to get through the hard times and how to build resilience. But it came about because I noticed I was getting a lot of questions from teens and, and kids, um, you know, through emails and when I saw them in public and when I would go and speak to schools and on social media. And I noticed that there was a lot of common themes in all of their questions. So I, I, I pretty much just grouped all of the questions into the different themes, um, answered them all, and that was, I, I guess that was the catalyst for how the book came around. They're very honest teens, and were they very honest in some of those questions? Yeah, but it was good. Like, it was refreshing. I think as adults, we've got so much, so many filters and and. And and so many things that we think is not appropriate for us to say. And, you know, we're always so worried about saying the wrong thing. And uh, I find it very refreshing 
just how how candid and how honest kids and teens can be. And I, you know, the questions that I got in the book were candid, but some of them were also really deep. You know, like uh, there was a question from Izzy who was fourteen. She said, "I always compare myself to everyone else, and I feel worse." What should I do? And I think that's something that we all do. We go on social media, we scroll through Instagram, we see what we think is someone's really perfect life, you know, having cocktails in, in the Caribbean. And then that makes us feel worthless and less than and like we're not good enough. So I think, you know, the strategy I shared in this, I, I talked about when I was at Ironman World Championships and there was all of these people who were so incredibly you know at the peak of their physical condition they had these super expensive bikes and all of this gear and I I was there and I felt really out of place I felt like I didn't belong I thought well why am I even here you know this is so stupid to real and what really brought, brought me back was just practicing gratitude and just thinking about well all of the work that I'd done to get into the start line all of the people that had helped me get there um, how grateful I was to even get that opportunity to compete in the Ironman World Championships. So whenever I compare myself to others, and this is particularly relevant for kids and teens as they're going through social media, if they start to feel bad about themselves, they can practice gratitude and they can also unfollow those people. You see, you have so much to offer them because you have the whole goal setting and overcoming of the athlete, a phenomenal athlete, but you've also been through what you've been through and had to adjust to changes in your body and and in mm. your own self-concept, uh, which is basically adolescence, an adolescence world, mm. isn't it? And yeah. and you on on many fronts you have so much to offer them. But there was you were answering questions from kids in an earlier ebook, and is it the questions again, which? I guess, led you to what to include in the book and what to discuss. Did you see a lot of things that were familiar? With the e-book? Yes, and the questions coming through. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I mean, I got, I got questions like how hard is it to do everyday things and are there things you still can't do? You know, when I sat down to answer that question, I had to be honest that, yeah, there, there are things that I can't do. But if you just always focus on the things that you're not great at yet and that you can't do yet, um, that doesn't really make you feel super inspired and super motivated and super pumped. Um, and I remember when I was a little girl, uh, I was really bad at math. And I, I came home one day and I was doing my math homework on the kitchen table. And I, I, I threw a tantrum. I said, I'm, I'm so stupid. I, I can't do this. And my mum, who is a strong Polynesian woman, she's the wisest woman in the whole world, she said to me, she said, no, Tere, you can't do it yet. Just by adding those three little letters on the end of the sentence, that reminded me that the situation wasn't permanent. And that was a lesson I took with me into my recovery because when I couldn't do something, I wouldn't beat myself up. I wouldn't be down on myself. I'd say, yeah, Tere, you've had an accident. You're going to have to relearn all of this stuff. And just because you can't do it now, that doesn't mean that you won't be able to do it in the future. And feeling like that, that gives you a really strong sense of of hope for your future. And hope is such a powerful thing. One of the questions specifically about your recovery was from Amanda, 16. What motivated you to get better? It's a really simple question and a really complex one. And how did you use this to, to offer some insight for younger people? 
Yeah, um, that. Uh, I guess that, that that's uh, the questions I got asked were like were so simple, but at the same time so deep as well. If you know what I mean. So when she asked that question, well, what motivated you to get better? To be honest, there was there was a lot of things, but I didn't rely on always being super pumped up and super motivated because I don't think feeling like that all the time is a very realistic expectation to have of ourselves. You know, some days we do feel really excited and motivated and really want to get stuck into what we're doing. But other days we might be tired, we might be lethargic, we might have had a fight with our partner. So we've got all of that stuff to contend with as well. So I always say forget about motivation and focus on being consistent. Just do the consistent small steps that will lead you to where, towards where you want to go. Another important part of this that they asked you about was confidence because one yeah. would see from your career a very confident and high-achieving person, but in the situation of what you'd been through, what happened to confidence and what did you have to do? Yeah, so I got a question from a, a young girl about that. I think her name was Katie and she, she said to me, oh, I don't look like any people that I see on Instagram and every time I think about that, I feel like crap. And I guess for me, being a super confident, super outgoing, athletic person with a, a, a really great career as a mining engineer to, you know, a month later being in a hospital bed, physically incapacitated, you know, unable to even feed myself, I didn't feel like me at all because everything that was me being confident and being strong and being athletic, they were all taken away from me. So I guess how I answered it is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking pride in your appearance. So if I go to do a speech and I rock up in my Ugg boots and I don't brush my hair, I don't brush my teeth, I'm probably not going to feel as confident and therefore as capable, of, you know, of putting my best foot forward. On the other hand, if I've looked nice and I've brushed my hair and I'm in a cool outfit, I'm probably going to feel more confident and and deliver a, a better speech. So the activity I get the kids to do in the book is I get them to do something that I call a confidence fire in which they write down all of the areas through which they get their confidence. So some of the areas might be their, their appearance of how they look, but they also might get their confidence from their sporting abilities, how well they did in their math test, Maybe getting their hair braided makes them feel nice. And when I get them to do that exercise, I'm trying to get them to understand that our appearance, for sure, it does help us with our confidence. But it's only one part of the pie. It's only one facet. There's a lot of different areas through which we get our confidence to. And she was talking about self-consciousness as well, which you also address, and it's something that everyone has to deal with. You make the comment, people can be mean, people do judge. We can all judge sometimes. You can't control that. You focus on what you can control. You talk about yeah. you talk about how also how you can use things like body language to convince yourself and to, and to convince others as well. Yeah. yeah. Allied to that, I found really interesting, was this question of self-talk. And this is a really insightful um, part of the story. Why can't I be confident like you? And you describe the natural system our brain has that when we say something negative to ourselves, the brain goes searching for all the other examples. Could you elaborate? Yes. 
Yeah, so we've got something in our brains called the reticular activation system, but I can never remember that word, those words, so I just call it the RAS. And our RAS, it's very clever. It's like, if you imagine like a little mini Google search bar in your head, and that's pretty much what our RAS is. So say you want to buy a red Mazda, your RAS will input that, and all of a sudden when you're out in the street, you'll start noticing these red Mazdas that you want to buy. When I was pregnant with my son, I started noticing all of these other women who were pregnant. So uh, that system in our head is very awesome. It helps us, but it can lead us astray because whatever we put in there, it will find examples for. So if you say to yourself, why am I such an idiot? I always stuff things up. Your RAS is just going to search for other examples of when you've stuffed up and what makes you an idiot. However, if you say to yourself, wow, that didn't go to plan. I wonder what I could do differently next time. Your RAS will go out and start searching and come up with examples to answer that question. So I was really just explaining that um, our self-talk is really important that there is a system that our head uses unconsciously which will just come up with whatever answers to the questions that we've asked. And so that's why the onus is on us to really think about what sort of questions we're asking ourselves. Questions and just statements as as well. Whatever you are thinking, that Google search bar in the head will go looking for similar similarities and previous examples. And you want that to be healthy, positive stuff more than the negative stuff. Exactly. So try don't when you beat yourself up, you can either talk to yourself how you would talk to your best friend. So you wouldn't talk to your best friend, you wouldn't say to your best friend, You're an idiot, you always get things wrong, you're a failure. If your best friend made a mistake at work and told you about it, you'd probably say, Mate, it's okay, everyone makes mistakes, it's not a big deal. Um you'll probably learn something from this. And how are we going to fix this up? You touched on gratitude, but let's talk about it a little bit more because it's very important to you and it's related yeah. to what we've just been talking about. The basic mental settings and the voice that we keep prominent in our heads can be positive, it can be negative, it can be a mix of both. What's the role Ooh. of gratitude in keeping in that positive, overcoming, problem-solving mode and even in just how we feel? Mm. Well, if you woke up in the morning and you started focusing on everything in your life that wasn't going right, on everything in your life that wasn't working, on all of the problems that you've got, you're probably not going to feel very good about yourself. So that's why I like to start every day with a gratitude practice. And by practicing gratitude, it's really simple. You're training your brain to start focusing on the positives in your life. I'm not saying that people don't have negatives in their life. We've all got problems. We've all got issues. We've all got things at different times that aren't working very well for us. But by just taking a couple of minutes in the morning to be grateful for what it is in our lives that's really awesome, not only does that make us feel better, but it also helps us set up our day in the best possible way. So, for example, my gratitude practice this morning, I was grateful for my beautiful son who I played with, um, 
my mum, she came over and got him so I could do this interview with you this morning and it was from my cup of coffee. So really simple things, and I think the simpler the better because we can't all be jet-setting off to Paris every other weekend. But really simple things, and the more you do it, the more it will just become a habit. And that means it's a habit for you as well to be focusing on the positives in your life. Thanks to your mum, by the way, for that. Much appreciated. Josh, <laughs> Josh, seven, we need mums. We need mums so we can have interviews. Um, Josh17 says, what do you do when you're just not feeling happy about yourself? Again, the simplest mm-hmm. statement, but so many layers to it. Mm. I guess, so because, uh, you know, I, I always get told I'm really positive and optimistic, which is true, but I also think that when you're feeling like shit, it can be really refreshing to just own it, you know, just to say, yeah, you know what, today's a shit day. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. Because when we're feeling really bad about ourselves or we're feeling really down, sometimes it can be just completely insincere to ourselves to say, oh, well, you know, prep up, cheer up, stay positive, stay focused on the solutions. You know, when you're feeling really down and you've got a friend like that, it it can be sometimes annoying because you actually just want to feel that feeling for a little bit. And I I think if you're feeling down and you don't want to turn it around and you just want to own it, I think that's a perfectly valid response to have. And I always say to myself, you know what, today's a bad day, tomorrow will probably be better. So interesting observation you have on happiness and how happiness depends on you. No one can make you happy. That's your job, which is completely mm. true. And people who are good at finding things that make them happy have got a good start on, on people who, um, who who don't innately or naturally do that. But in the too long didn't read little summary, which I love, you have it each chapter, you, you deal with some different components of happiness one is yes take responsibility for doing things to make you happy which might include your connections with other people but you also make the point don't expect to be happy all the time no one is and you you also flag something very important with the challenge for a generation which is comparing yourself to other people on social media or IRL in real life can be really can can be the a problem with happiness yeah I guess there is an expectation in society that we're supposed to be happy all the time and when we're not, we feel like there is something inherently wrong with us. And I think that's bullshit. I, I, I don't think that's how humans were made. Now, that's not our design. We weren't designed to be happy all the time. We were designed to, to survive. You know, we're designed to always look at the bad things in the situation, whether that's a saber-toothed tiger or lack of food or we need a new cave. You know, that's our wiring. So I think to have that expectation to always be happy, I think that's realistic. So I think that's the first step in happiness, number one, is accept that you're not always going to be happy. You know, in life we're going to experience a range of emotions and all of them are okay to feel. We're going to be happy, we're going to be joyful, we're going to be excited, we're also going to be pissed off maybe bitter sometimes, envious um, and angry. And I think social media, you know, I was really lucky when I was growing up when I was a teenager that there was no social media. But I know for sure that social media is a way that you can, you know, if you want to feel bad about yourself, 
you go on Instagram and start scrolling, and I bet you that most people will feel worse than when they hopped on there. So that's an activity I've got in the book. I, I, I get the, the readers to check in on how they're feeling before they jump on Instagram and check in on how they're feeling after they're on Instagram. And if they feel worse, to change up who they're following, you know, to try and follow some different people. I think any tool that we have, they can be bad or they can be good. It's just on, I guess the onus is on us on how we use it. The way also to deal with hard times, and you have been through Ooh. a particularly extreme type of hard time, physically, emotionally, mm. in every in every way. Young people are going through them in numerous ways, whether it's you mm. know parental separation, whether it's um, their own anxiety or, or um, um, depression issues, whether it is any number of things that can be hitting their lives, mm. sexual abuse. How do you, how do you talk to them about it? And it's it's a question of reframing. But how do you help them begin to learn that skill? Mm. You know, I'm going to answer your question with another question that I got in the book. Again, a really super simple question, but there was all of these layers and complexity surrounding it. And the question was, did you ever just want to give up because it was too hard? You know, I think so many people these days can relate to that question because their lives are so hard. They're going through something which is so tough and they just, they just feel like giving up, you know. And I, the answer I gave was that, you know, I remember the first time I had to learn how to stand again in hospital um, I remember this big guy, he, he pulled me up onto my feet and I was sobbing and crying and screaming. And that point was the hardest point of my whole journey. And it wasn't because of all the pain that I was in, but it was because the enormity of what lay ahead of me just, just hit me. Because I couldn't even walk by myself. So how the hell was I going to be able to run again, compete again, go back to work, have a family with Michael? And so I think when something seems so overwhelming and so enormous, it's very easy for us to want to give up. And what I did to combat that or to get through that is I focused literally on on just taking the smallest steps. Now, every night when I went to bed, I'd say to myself, well done, Terea, you've done it. You, you've made it through another day and you're still here. So I think just, I guess, letting go of, of how difficult things in your life are at the moment, focusing on the one small step that you could do today and then congratulating yourself when the day's over. That would be my advice. Taria, it's a great book across all sorts of subjects. It's really fun to read. And there's the summaries for those who, for whom it is too long didn't read. Uh, thanks again for your time. Great to catch up. Yeah, really great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Taria Pitt, and the book is Good Selfie, Tips and Tools for Teens uh, to Nail Life. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.